0: Tonight I'll be am re- Abby if I don't know you already. Um, tonight I'll be reading a selection of verses from Genesis starting at um, chapter 11 verse 27 and going on to chapter 18 and you can follow along on the screen um, or just listen. Starting at chapter 11 verse 27. These are the family records of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during his father Terah's lifetime. Abram and Nahor took wives. Abram's wife was named Sarai and Nahor's wife was named Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Sarai was unable to conceive. She did not have a child. Chapter 15, verse 1. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Elisa of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as Righteousness. Abram's wife, Sarah, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan ten years. He slept with Hagar and she became pregnant. Chapter 17, verse 15. God said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will produce nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. Then he laughed to himself. Can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a ninety-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael were acceptable to you. But God said, No, your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his future offspring. Chapter 18, verse 10. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, so she laughed to herself. After I have become shriveled up and my Lord is old, will I have delight? But the Lord asked Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time I will come back to you, and in about a year she will have a son.
1: The New Testament reading is from Luke chapter 2, starting from verse 25. It's on page 943. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple complex. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms praised God and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. This is the word of the Lord. Right. Light, light
0: off. Light, light off. Light, light off. off. Okay.
2: <sighs> Happy birthday
0: to you. <laughs> Happy birthday.
2: How cute is that? It's pretty amazing, isn't it? I wonder when the, uh, was the last birthday that you were that excited. Can you remember? We've got a, a little boy, Johnny, who is five years old. He's going to be six in December. He's been plotting his birthday party since February. He is that excited about his birthday. He's been uh, thinking about the guest list. He's been designing the invitations. He's got a few themes. Um, we even went to the pharmacist the other day In Greenwich to get some potion for my throat and they've got a toy section there and his excitement about his birthday took over the pharmacist visit and he ended up telling me that he wanted this $200 Lego box. He is that excited. When was the last time you were excited about your birthday like that? Let me ask you another question. When was the last time you were excited about being a Christian? When was the last time it took over your life and shaped everything that you do and see and think, even your trip to the pharmacist? When was the last time you were excited about being a Christian? Because the Bible says when you become a Christian, God gives you a birthday. When you become a Christian, you become a child of God, a precious child of God. When was the last time you were excited about that? My hunch is, is that for many of us, being a child of God has become a little mundane. Perhaps we feel forgotten about. Perhaps we feel unloved by God. Perhaps we feel like God is just throwing curveballs in our life and we feel distant and let down by God. If that's you, it's my prayer that this evening we would remember what it is to be a child of God. If you're not a Christian, I hope that you will see what it means to be a child of God because Jesus holds out some pretty amazing promises to children of God. I'm going to pray. Will you pray with me? Our Father, as we look at your grace to Sarah, we pray that you would speak to us. Please warm our cold hearts, unblock our deaf ears, and help us to hear your voice. Show us what it means to be a child of God. Stir us, excite us, and remind us of the privilege of being called your sons and daughters. Amen. If you're here last week, uh, you will know that we've started this new um, sermon series, which we're calling Generation Better. We're looking at Genesis 12 to 50, the heroes of the faith from Abraham through to Joseph. And you will know that last week we saw God deliver a promise to fix our broken world, to undo the effects of the fall by blessing the whole world through Abraham and we saw that that would involve giving Abraham land. And that was a bit of our focus last week. And we saw that that would involve giving Abraham kids. That's our focus for this week. We can't, uh, we can't understate the significance of that promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, because it shapes the whole Bible. It fuels the whole Bible narrative. Promise to Abraham delivered in Jesus. The problem is when you look at Abraham, Genesis 12, when you look at his situation, you think it might be an episode of The Chaser. It's farcical. Abraham is old. Sarah is old. In chapter 11, we've heard that Sarah is barren. It's a complete joke. Well, in tonight's passage, we get some laughing. But it's not laughing at jokes. But it is laughing that is going to help us to realize what it means to be a child of God. We've got two types of laughter, and we're going to look at those in turn. And my prayer is that we would remember and rejoice what it means to be a child of God. First type of laughter, the unbelieving laugh. The unbelieving laugh. Genesis 17, 17. Abraham fell face down. Then he laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah... A 90-year-old woman give birth. Chapter eighteen, eleven. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. So she laughed to herself. After I become shriveled up and my Lord is old, will I have delight? Pretty good questions, aren't they? Because this is impossible circumstances. These are the laughs of people who feel like God has failed them. People who feel like God has forgotten them. And we need to zoom back to chapter 16 and see that these laughs are 25 years in the making. 25 years of feeling let down by God. So flick back with me to chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. And we see Sarah hatching this messed up Jerry Springer plot. Sarah said to Abraham, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her, I can build a family. Since the Lord hasn't given me any children, I wonder if my 75-year-old husband wouldn't mind too much impregnating my foxy Egyptian slave. 16 verse 2. And Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. Obeyed Obeyed it. Hey, hey, Abraham, I've got a favor to ask you. Oh, go on then. You've twisted me arm. It's all wrong, isn't it? It's all wrong. Uh, The commentators like to point out that this was uh, pretty normal for the day, uh, that if you couldn't have children, you went to your slave and that's how you did it. it. It may have been normal for the day, but for God's people, it was screwed up. See, God's design for marriage, God's design for sex, is for two people, opposite sex, lifelong. That's God's design for marriage. But the swinging in this passage isn't the real scandal. What our author, Moses, he's the guy that's written this, put it together for the the benefit of Israel. What Moses is setting up is a recreation of Genesis 3 and the fall and the Garden of Eden. And he does that through these little details that we can so easily miss. So have a look at, at chapter 16 with me, and we see that instead of Eden, verse three, we're told that they had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. Instead of two trees, we have two women. Instead of Eve handing, instead of Eve handing Adam a fruit, we get Sarah handing Hagar to Abraham when it all gets ugly, instead of Adam blaming Eve, Sarah says to Abraham, you are responsible for my suffering. We're back in the garden. That's what Moses is intending as he writes this down. We're back in the garden. We're being reminded that humans, from the beginning of time, are incapable of trusting God. They always have been and always will be. See, Abraham and Sarah thought that God was the ogre in the sky. They thought that he hadn't delivered. They thought that he wouldn't deliver. They were sick of waiting on God. So they do it themselves. They try to manufacture the fulfillment of God's promise. They DIY it. And if you look at 16, they pull it off. Hagar gets pregnant. Ishmael is born. But as this plan plays out, things just get more messed up, more painful. There's more hatred, pain, this Jerry Springer shouting in the street. Pretty ugly. I know that this is not the Sarah and Abraham that we have in our head. We said that last week. We've got the Abraham in our head. But these people are dysfunctional, they're messed up, they're real. When you look at these guys, you get them, don't you? Because we are like them. Like them, uh, we struggle to trust God. Like them, we often feel like God is the ogre in the sky. Like them, we get sick of waiting on God to deliver on his promises. And like them, we love a bit of DIY when it comes to fulfilling the promises of God. We say to God, I'm going to decide what you'll give me, and I'm going to decide when you'll give it to me. That's what we do, don't we? Now, I know that this uh, passage is about pregnancy, and it will open up a lot of wounds, open anew. I've been praying for you, if that's you. I've been praying that, that this uh, passage uh, wouldn't hurt you unnecessarily, and that I wouldn't be insensitive in my brash way. Please forgive me if I, if I do. Uh, what I want all of us to do, though, is to change our unbelieving laughs, change our unbelieving laughs, and get better at waiting on God. I- I'm hopeless at waiting. I've been waiting for an iPhone 6. My old one is on the way out, and I ordered one with Telstra. And initially, uh, I ordered it, and they said it would be two to four days, and then it was going to be two weeks. Then they said four weeks, and I phoned them the other day, and they have no idea when this thing is coming. So I've been flirting with the other networks. I've been into the Optus store. I've even been into Vodafone saying, what can you do for me? I've even considered buying an Android phone. It's pretty desperate, isn't it? Well, when it comes to trusting the promises of God, we can be like that. We can be like that, can't we? We can shake our fists at God and say, God, why didn't you give me this? Or God, why can't you do that for me? We feel unsatisfied. And so we shake our fists at God. When we're single, we say, God, why can't you give me a spouse? When we're married, we say, God, why can't you give me a happy marriage? When we're kidless, we say, God, why can't you give me kids? When we've got kids, we say, God, why can't you give me kids that sleep through the night? When we're renting, we say, God, why can't you give me a house? And when we've got a house... We say, God, why can't you give me a bigger house? We're unsatisfied beings, aren't we? desires aren't necessarily a bad thing. Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in our hearts. And those desires are just a shadow of of what God will give us in the new creation. Complete satisfaction, relational, physical satisfaction. That's what God will give us in the new creation. Our deep longings are a sign of of what God has blessed us with in Christ for eternity. But we need to remember, it's really important that we remember this, that God has not promised us perfection now. We live in in a broken world. We live in a fallen world. Longings are, are not the problem. The world is the problem. The world that we live in. Longings are not the problem. But DIYing it is a problem, as we do a Sarah, and try and manufacture the outcome. You know, we go around to other suppliers, don't we? We go around to other suppliers to give us the promises of God, the suppliers like wealth and religion and romance and family and morality. Now, those suppliers might have the illusion of giving us what God has promised us. They might, for a short time, satisfy us in the same way that God's blessings will satisfy us. But only Jesus offers perfect and permanent blessing. And he off, only he offers that for eternity. When we were looking at this passage this week in Hive Groups, I was chatting to a friend, and she said that she so often demands things of God that haven't been promised. I wonder whether that's you. We often do that, don't we? I wonder whether that's why being a child of God often feels so mundane, why it often feels so excruciating at times, because we get God's promises wrong, or we're DIYing the solution. We look to ourselves and not to God, and then we blame him when things don't show up. We look for contentment outside of Christ, and then we feel unloved by God. We look at other people and we say to God, Why am I so second rate? I need to say that as a child of God, that simply isn't true. It simply isn't true. We uh, had read last week Ephesians 1, and Ephesians 1 says that if you are in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You are a VIP, you are God's chosen loved child you are more loved than you will ever know if you are in Christ the unbelieving laugh may be our experience but it is not our hope our hope is in our second laugh of the evening our second laugh is the triumphant laugh flick on with me to genesis 21:1 the triumphant laugh Genesis 21.1, the Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time God had told him. Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. When you're 100 years old and your wife is 90, the only way you're going to get a kid is by a miracle by God's grace. And that's the emphasis here in chapter 21. It's framed so that we would see God delivering on his promise. He gives Abraham and Sarah this baby Isaac. Anyone know what Isaac means? Got to have an Isaac here. He laughs. Yeah, he laughs. Isaac's name is, is repeated three times in the first five verses so that we would get that. and in case we're in any doubt how we're meant to react, Sarah says, verse 6, God made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. See, Isaac is God's laugh. He is the last laugh. He is the triumphant laugh. We're meant to be laughing with Sarah. They've been waiting 25 years for God to deliver. They're nearly dead. Imagine the oldest people you know. They're nearly dead. They're a hundred. And God delivers on his promise. Exactly what he had promised. Exactly when he had promised. It's awesome. It's a miracle. We need to feel their pain of 25 years waiting on God. And then when when they're just about to think that God has not come through, God gives them their baby. And gives them a triumphant laugh. It's brilliant. It's got delivers on the impossible, in the impossible situations. It's massive. It's massive unless you've read the New Testament. And you'll know that Isaac's birth has got nothing on the birth of Jesus. Born to a woman who has never had sex. Born in an animal feeding trough, born in a society where it was expected, infor, expected uh, sorry born in a society where infant mortality was about thirty percent now if isaac 's name means he laughs jesus name should mean roll off your chair holding your belly laughter shouldn 't it because it 's brilliant when Jesus comes to earth. Angels sing. There's laughing. Mary sings. Simeon, uh, in our New Testament reading, he sings, he declares God's praises because he knows what Jesus' name means. It means Savior. Isaac is born and God's promises are set in motion. Jesus is born and God's salvation is delivered. That's what Simeon was getting so excited about. In our New Testament reading, as he lifts up the baby Jesus, he says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. He's seen it. He's seen that with Jesus comes salvation. Salvation From the broken world that we feel every day, deliverance into a perfect world. And with Jesus comes the right to be called children of God. Look around you. I won't make you put your hands up like I did last week. Anglicans get a bit nervous about that. Look around you. Look at each other. Look at each other. Don't look at me. Look at each other. You are miracle babies. You are miracle babies. See what God has been doing in time and history so that you could sit here as His child. From Abraham to Jesus, from Jerusalem to Sydney, God has been working so that you could be His child. If you're a Christian here tonight, you are a miracle baby. Just read your Bible and look what was involved. Look what planning was involved through history. Look how God controlled nations. Look how he ordained events so that God could deliver salvation in Jesus. It's amazing. Amazing as we look at it. He's worked a miracle to make you his child. You are a miracle. Do you see what confidence that gives to us God delivered on Isaac, then he will certainly deliver. If God delivered on Isaac and he delivered on Jesus, then he will certainly deliver us into his new creation. I know we want the pain to be taken away now. I know we keep asking, why me? Why this suffering? God, are you an ogre in the sky? Why have you forgotten me? I know we ask God, why have you thrown these curveballs into my life? We won't know the answer to those questions, most probably. But Jesus knows the answers to those questions. And he has dealt with those problems once and for all. As he called us his children and won us his place in, won us our place in his new creation. A place where there'll be no more tears or mourning or pain or suffering. I know it hurts now, but it won't hurt forever forever. God has made us his children. And his children will live in his perfect creation. where there's no more mourning or crying. He's won it for us by his grace. He's won it for us no matter how many times we slip up. He's won it for us no matter how many times we fail to trust God. He's won it for us no matter how many times the effects of a broken world take their hold on us. Well, how can we be a better generation? How can we be the generation better? Well, we need to know where we've come from. We need to know that we are miracle babies in Christ. We need to be reminding each other that we are new creations, miracle babies in Christ. We need to know where we are headed. We need to know that this world is not all that there is. And we need to be inviting people to the party. You see, that's how babies are born in the New New Testament. In the Old Testament, they were born through uh, physical birth. In the New Testament, they are born by people sharing the gospel, inviting other people to come to the party, to come into his kingdom, to come and follow Jesus. That's how we'll be the better generation when we get excited about what Jesus has done in us, when it shapes all of our lives, every single detail of our lives. And we know confidently that we are children of God. I'm going to pray now. I'm going to pray the Lord's press. Remain seating and don't join in. And then Dan is going to come up and he's going to sing us a song to allow us to reflect on what it means to be a child of God. Just uh, as we sing that, reflect and pray, and and think about how being a child of God, how being a miracle baby will shape your Monday morning, how it will shape your week. I'm going to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread